Hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is the Friday broadcast, and this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. Today, we're going to be doing part two of Total Surrender. I know this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Thank you for listening as we look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. A few years ago, a movie was released called The Perfect Storm. It told the heroic tale of a ship that encountered a -a once-in-a-lifetime storm, a perfect storm that resulted in tragedy. Well, unbeknownst to the captain of the ship, three separate storms were brewing on the Atlantic, and he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. All three weather systems collided at one single point, creating some of the most violent seas ever recorded. As I think about where our culture is today, we are living in what would be called the perfect storm. We have a culture that, for the most part, has rejected Christianity. Then we've had things like COVID come in, and then we've had things like a world that is caught up in technology. We've seen advances in technology, but it hasn't been for the betterment of our culture. When you think about surrender, it may be a subject that you may not even want to discuss at this stage in life. But as followers of Christ, we are learning that we no longer are cookie-cutter Christians. We are no longer trapped by the world. We have been set free. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Today in the broadcast, we're continuing on this subject as to why I should totally surrender to God, what is total surrender mean, and then how do I go about being totally surrendered to Him? Well, first of all, as you look at that subject of total surrender, total surrender is understanding the greatness of God's mercy, the urgency of God's grace, surrendering to Him completely. Paul reminds us that because of God's grace, He has been so gracious to us by sending His one and only Son to die on the cross for our sins and to give us everlasting life. He didn't have to do that. He was driven by grace, and that grace was based upon the mercy that He had for us. Somebody said, grace is getting a gift that I don't deserve. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. Mercy is not getting the punishment that I deserve. So God does both for us. He withholds the punishment that we deserve, and he actually bestows that punishment upon his only son. And instead of giving us a punishment that we deserve, he gives us a gift that we don't deserve. So Paul says, in light of all this, present your bodies, totally surrender to God. That is your reasonable act of service. In other words, that is what it would be expected over somebody who has been a recipient of mercy and of grace. Maybe we could look at it like this. Let's say that you are in a car accident, and as a result of this car accident, somebody is greatly injured, and you realize that you were the cause of the accident. It was your fault. You have really no opportunity to defend yourself because the act that you committed was an act that is indefensible. You go to court, And as a result of going to that court, the judge agrees with those who gave testimony of the accident that you are guilty. You are so distraught, overwhelmed with guilt and remorse. How could I have been so stupid, you say to yourself, to cause this accident that not only caused great damage, but hurt somebody severely? And then the judge dismisses the case. And the judge says, the reason I'm dismissing your case is because the one who is bringing these charges against you has decided to be merciful to you and has decided not to press charges. 
not to hold this against you, not to worry about what has happened. You are a recipient of mercy. And then as you leave the court that day, not only does this person decide not to bring charges against you, but this person also decides to be gracious to you and gives you a gift. As you think about that event in your life, your thought toward that person will be forever altered. You have received mercy from that person. You have received grace from that person. If that person then said to you, I tell you what, let's go out to eat, and would you buy me lunch? Would you say to that person, no way, Jose, I'm not buying you anything. You would be a very ungracious person. You would be a disgrace to the grace that you received. You would be a person that didn't deserve that mercy in the first place, and you show up by your action that you didn't deserve it in the second place. The same would be true of a person who claims to be a recipient of God's grace and God's mercy. For him to say, well, no, I no longer want to serve him. I no longer want to live for him. I don't want to surrender to him. It just doesn't add up. You see, total surrender is I'm living my life by faith with eternity in mind. Paul said that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it was the power of God that brought salvation to everyone who believes. And he talks about that righteousness that is given to us from faith from first to last. The same faith that we have in receiving salvation is the same faith that we will have to be totally surrendered to our Savior. Living by faith is one way that we totally surrender. Another way is by walking in humility. You see, as I go back to that case of a person that I'd injured through a car accident, it would be wrong for me to be bragging and saying, well, you know what? Uh, Look what I did. I got myself out of that legal case. Uh, I got myself out of all the fines and and I got myself out of that situation. No, I would be doing that with a wrong attitude. I'd be bragging about something that I had really nothing to do with. I would be boasting wrongly. You see, when somebody extends grace and mercy to you, there's really no boasting. Paul says it is a walk in humility. We walk and we have been set free from the law and we have nothing to brag about. You know, every time I find myself full of myself, it's because of pride. When salvation takes place in our lives, one of the things that we're saved from is we're actually saved from ourselves in the pride that we have. You've never had this attitude that I deserve this or I'm entitled to this or nobody understands what I'm going through. I am not being justified by faith. I am trying to live my life apart from the law. Total surrender involves also being dead to sin. The deadness of sin means that, not that I'm sinless, but I'm no longer a slave to sin. Paul says, what shall we say? Shall we go on sinning in Romans chapter 6 that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. And when we're dead to something, we can no longer live in it any longer. Did you know that as a follower of Christ who has surrendered to Christ, whenever I sin, I am actually resurrecting something that is dead? Sin doesn't have control over me, but I resurrect that sin in my life whenever I bring up that old nature. Paul says, oh, don't you know, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, baptized into his death, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have been united with him in his death like his. 
we certainly will also be united with him in his resurrection like his. Now, as I look at this passage of scripture, I see the wonderful symbol of believer's baptism. As we look at your life before you knew Christ, when you are up in that water tank, before the pastor lowers you into that water, that is a picture of your life before you were saved. You were lost. You belonged to yourself. You were alive in your sin, but you were dead to Christ. When we died with Christ through baptism and we came back up out of that water, we are saying to the whole world, I am now dead to my sins. I'm alive in Christ. I am resurrected with Him. So to be dead to sin means we no longer need to be controlled by that sinful nature. Paul said in Romans 6, 17, that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. So before Christ, we were slaves to sins. Now we have a new master. But there's something else that is involved in being totally surrendered to Christ. We are released from the law, no longer legally held responsible for our sin because the price has been paid. And as a result of that, we are freed up to serve. The fifth thing that happens to us when we totally surrender to Christ, we are free from all condemnation. And that's where we finished up the broadcast yesterday, where Paul talks about the fact there is no one who condemn us, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I would encourage you, if you are feeling like you are being condemned, maybe somebody's trying to put you on a guilt trip, maybe somebody has made you feel like you're condemned, maybe you are battling this in your own mind, feeling that you're not worthy of Christ and you're not worthy of your salvation and you're not worthy of people accepting you, I want you to know you should spend some time in Romans chapter 8. It is a powerful chapter. As a matter of fact, at one time, I had memorized this whole chapter because I was one that was under that tyranny of condemnation. I never felt like I could live up to the standard that I had for myself or the standard that other people had for me. I always felt like I was falling short and disappointing people. Well, maybe that was because of the legalistic background that I lived under. I lived under an understanding of Christianity that says, if you do the right thing, then you must be right with God. If you do the wrong thing, you must be wrong with God. And I realized that my relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship, not based on rules, based upon the fact that he loves me unconditionally. Realizing that now in Christ, there is no condemnation. Number six, when I'm totally surrendered to Christ, I become heirs with Christ. We're still in Romans chapter 8. Now we're down to verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, here's a mouthful that Paul is talking about. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, I spent a lot of time as a young adult really questioning my salvation until I found this verse, Romans 8, 16. An insurance of your salvation is that the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. We are heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ. I want you to know that if you're born again and you're doubting your salvation, I want you to pray that you will sense that Spirit testifying within your spirit that you're born again. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
God will use the Spirit to speak to the Word to give you that assurance that you need that you are born again. I discovered why the enemy doesn't want us to have that joy of our salvation. He wants us to believe that we're lost. Here's a trick of how the enemy works. Here's one of his tricks, right? He wants believers to feel like they're lost so they will live in condemnation and they will live in rejection. He wants the unbelievers to think that they're okay and they're okay in the eyes of God and God is going to be gracious to them and merciful to them and they want to have a false assurance of their faith so they never enjoy genuine conversion. That is a trick of the enemy. Listen, the Spirit himself testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. I have assurance of my salvation, not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done for me. I'm a child of God. Now, sometimes I may not feel like a child of God, but I am a child of God. Sometimes my kids may not enjoy being my children, but they're my children. There's nothing that they can do to disappoint me enough that I'm going to say, hey, you're no longer my children. They will always be my children. If you're born again into the family of God, you will always be a child of God. You are heirs with Christ. Enjoy that relationship with Him. Number seven, when you surrender to Christ, you enjoy God's everlasting love. Well, we're still in Romans chapter 8, dropping down to verse number 31. Paul says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, don't you love that verse? If God's for us, nobody else can be against us. God plus me is always a majority. It doesn't matter who's against me. If God's for me, it doesn't matter who's against me. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Oh, if I live for Christ, he gives me his everlasting love. And people can bring charges against me. I remember many years ago, I was so distraught. I had people bring false charges against me, and I didn't know what to do about it. And I went to this verse, and I realized, it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, Jesus, who died more than that, who has raised to life, is at the right hand of God, also interceding for us. You know, somebody may bring a false accusation against you, but I want you to know you've got Jesus Christ, on the right hand of God the Father, he is interceding for you. And he says this, verse number 35, who can separate us from his love? Shall trouble or hardships or persecution or famine or nakedness or or danger or sword? Paul says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep being brought to the slaughter. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In other words, we're not just scraping by, barely getting the victory. We are more than conquerors through whom has loved us. And then Paul says, I'm convinced. Nothing can separate me from his love. Not death, not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when we totally surrender to Christ, we enjoy God's everlasting love. And then number eight, we are shameless. And the reason that we're shameless is because God chose us without shame. 
Now we're in Romans chapter 9. What shall we say then? Paul asks, that the Gentiles, who did not pursue righteousness, have obtained it. It's a righteousness that was by faith. But the people of Israel, who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. See, I lay in Zion, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Oh, you can take that one to the bank, my friend, that if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you will never be put to shame. Oh, some people may try to put shame on you, but you're never going to be put to shame. God has chosen me. And when I, by faith, surrender to him, this Christ, to some people, is a stumbling block. To those who reject him, he is a stumbling block. Have you ever noticed that people that don't want a relationship with Christ don't want to hear anything about anybody else having a relationship with Christ? Why? Because to them, it is a stumbling block. It is something that they trip over, and they'd rather not trip over it. They'd rather eradicate it from their thinking. They'd rather not be exposed to it. You see, there's power in the gospel. Well, there's something else about a life that is surrendered. Number nine, if a life is completely surrendered to Christ, we have been given a choice and we've been given opportunities. In Romans chapter 10, now I've got to read kind of a lengthy portion of scripture to drive this point home. And I hope that you don't, you don't get lost in all these words. But Paul says, brothers and sisters, my desire for you, my prayer is that the God for the Israelites is that they will be saved. So Paul says, I really want to pray that the Israelites will get saved. He says, well, I can testify that these Israelites that are not saved, they're zealous for God. In other words, they're a religious people, but their knowledge, or other than zeal, is not based on a knowledge of God. They don't know the righteousness of God because they are trying to establish it on their own good works. They don't submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, and there be righteousness for everyone who believes. And then he uses the illustration of Moses. He says, Moses wrote about the righteousness that is by the law. He says, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith doesn't say in your heart, who can ascend to heaven? And that is to bring Christ down. Or may descend into the depth. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. Now, all those verses from 10 to 8 are talking about the fact that we can be zealous about religious matters and still not be saved. We can have a lot of information, but if we don't walk by faith, then we're going to miss salvation. It involves two things, and that's what we get to verses 9 and 10. If we declare with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Let me stop right there and say, some people are going to be missing salvation by about 18 inches. They declare with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, but they don't believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. 
Jesus even talks about that, and James talks about this, right? Jesus said, many, many will send to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonders in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. In other words, they claim to know Jesus, and they even did some miraculous things in his name, but they did not believe that he was risen from the dead. They gave mouth, language, they gave lip service to Jesus being Lord, but in their hearts, God was far from them. James says, even the demons believe and shudder. And so it takes both declaring with your mouth and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between the Jew, there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So as we look at this right here, we discover that as a result of our salvation, we have this opportunity to share the gospel. Opportunity to receive it first and then share it. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number 10, we have hope even when we lack belief. Ah, this is such a blessing to me. To realize that sometimes my faith may be lacking a little bit, may be wavering a little bit. And so Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 11. He says, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You didn't support the root, but the root supports you. And let me repeat that. You didn't support the root, but the root supports you. In other words, even the faith that I have, the hope that I have, wasn't mustered up from within me. It was given to me. Salvation was a gift that was given to me. I don't support the root. The root supports me. Paul continues, you will say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider therefore the kindness and and the sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to those provided that you continue in that kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying, the hope that we have is given to us in Christ. If we lack belief, God will give us hope to hang in there. He will give us the strength to hang on there. If we don't believe this in the first place, we never have hope. As a result of the hope that we have in Christ, he hangs on to us. Verse 23, Romans chapter 11, if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Now, Paul is specifically talking about the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. They chose not to believe. And Paul is saying here, 
If they do not persist in this unbelief, in other words, if they start to believe, they will be grafted in, and God is able to graft them in. After all, if you were cut off from an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature, you were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily would these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So brilliant argument that Paul is making up here about what it takes to be one walking in hope as a result of being surrendered. So how do I surrender to God? Let me give it to you real quickly in the closing minute of the broadcast. Number one, I release my grip. I get out of that trap of the coconut by releasing my grip. Number two, I refuse to conform. I'm no longer deceived. I'm no longer conformed to the pattern of this world. I'm thinking differently because I've been changed. And then number three, I regard the cross. I realize I'm not condemned. I surrender to the cross. The cross will set me free. Well, thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. As you think about your life and all that God's done for you, why don't you worship Him this weekend? Join us at Hickory Ridge Community Church Sunday at 9 o'clock or 1045 this Sunday. Love to see you. God bless you. Have a great weekend. I'm praying for you and look forward to seeing you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.